Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, again, may that be the cry of our hearts. We would seek after you and you alone this morning. And as we seek you, we may find that you're seeking after us, that you're seeking after our hearts, that you desire to show us yourself. And so this morning we pray along with Moses, show us your glory. Show us who you really are. Reveal just how big and glorious and majestic is your name so that all of the glories of this life would just fade away. And so use your word now to stir in us and show us something new and something deep, that nothing less that we would leave this place completely transformed by your glory, we ask in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're able, please stand for reading of God's word. must warn you, this is a long passage this morning, and so if at any point you need to sit down, please do so. But we're reading through this long passage because I believe that there is a lot here that God wants to show us about his glory. This is Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. And his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Now continuing with verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship, and greatness, and glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, 
You have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up your set against, uh, yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and proclaimed. A proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We teach our children that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What that means is that the purpose of life the reason for our existence is to glorify God. The book of Isaiah in the Bible tells us that everyone, whether you believe in God or not, every human being was created for God's glory. The Psalms say that the whole earth, all of creation is filled with the glory of God. And Moses just after God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Just after that, the people of God made a golden calf and they worshiped it. And it was in that moment that Moses went into the presence of the Lord and he begged him, please show me your glory. The glory of God is one of the great themes of the Bible. The word glory is used over 350 times. We have been created for the glory of God. But what does it mean? What is the glory of God? And what does it mean to glorify him? The answer to that question is difficult for us. Because it's kind of like trying to describe a sunset to someone who's never seen one. And the feeling of awe and transcendence and beauty that comes over you. Or it's trying to describe to someone from another part of the country what a Texas thunderstorm is like when it rolls in. The power of thunder. The majesty of a lightning strike and the way that it makes you tremble in fear and awe. If you were with us last week, we talked about the power of God. And glory is kind of like that. When we talk about the glory of God, yes, in some way we're talking about his power, but it's not just that we're talking about his power. When we talk about the glory of God, we're saying that his power is beautiful. That it, it means something to us. That to see God's power is to be moved by it. To behold him to be marvel. 
The glory of God is, as Jonathan Edwards put it, it's the beauty of his perfection. Is that when we think of all of God's attributes, his his beauty and, and power and transcendence and glory, it's that all of these things would move us. That when we see God for who he is, if we really see him, that we could not help but fall down on our faces and worship him and adore him and marvel at his beauty. That is the glory of God. And you and I are created for it. We were made for it. But the problem is, you and I are glory thieves. We steal the glory of God and we give it to other things. And so we glory in our idols, we glory in ourselves when we were made for the glory of God. And what I want you to see this morning as we study the story of Belshazzar and the writing on the wall is that the glories of this present world cannot compare to the glory of God. And I want you to see why his glory is our only hope. So the first thing I want you to see, I want you to know that the glory of our idols is intoxicating. I want you to look with me at verse one of our passage this morning. It's Daniel chapter five. We're told that King Belshazzar made a great feast. Now, if you've been with us as we've been studying the whole story of Daniel, you should notice something. We're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar anymore. All of a sudden, we're talking about King Belshazzar. And this is one of the great challenges of studying the book of Daniel. It's not just the last half of the book that's hard. It's the first half as well. Because the first six chapters of Daniel are like a collection, an anthology of stories that are a bit disjointed. And so all of a sudden, up until this point, we've been talking about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now we're talking about Belshazzar. And what you need to know is that three kings have taken the throne in between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And more than that, the last king, the final king, was not Belshazzar, but a king named Nabonidus. So who's Belshazzar? Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus. He was actually a prince. And we don't totally know what's going on here. There's a couple of theories that are pretty good. One is that Nabonidus actually worshipped a different pagan god other than the patron god of Babylon. And because of that, he was actually ran out of town. There was an insurrection and they ran him out of town and put Belshazzar, his son, in his place. Another theory is that Nabonidus was actually off fighting the Persians. And so while the king was away fighting a war, he left his son in charge in Babylon. Whatever the case, Belshazzar was a prince and his father has left him in charge. And so Belshazzar did what many sons do when their fathers are away. He threw a party. He threw a huge party. He called all of the lords and all of his wives and all the concubines. And he said, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a feast. But he didn't stop there. He sent for all of the vessels, the vessels that had been taken the spoils of war, all the vessels that have been used in the temple in Israel to worship God alone. And he said, we're going to drink from them. Such audacity, such hubris. 
What would lead Belshazzar to do such a thing? He literally stole from the temple of God so that he could have a party. Have you ever stolen anything? I remember as a kid, some of my buddies, not me, some of my buddies took some candy from the corner store in our neighborhood, and I remember being so afraid along with them that someone would find out. Belshazzar is not afraid. He's not afraid because he does not fear the Lord. What I want you to see is this is where our idolatry begins. And you do not see God for who he truly is, and you do not fear him, and you have no reverence or awe for him, you will worship other things. And that's exactly what Belshazzar did. We're told not only did he take these vessels, he drank from them. And then in verse 4, the, they drank wine and praised God's the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, and stone. Belshazzar was drunk on his own glory, and he had become intoxicated with the idols of this world. Here he is drinking from a gold vessel and praising the god of gold. Do you see the irony? As if gold could be a God. He has it in his hand. It can't talk. It can't hear. It has no spiritual presence, but here he is praising gold and silver and wood. And you think, how foolish is that? I mean, who would, who would worship? Who would glorify a piece of wood, a piece of stone, a piece of gold or silver? But you see, not many years before this, the people of God did the same thing. Just after they'd been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, they, they took all of their gold jewelry, they melted it down, and they made a statue of a calf, a cow, and they worshiped it. Do you see how foolish that is? And yet, are we no different? How often do you and I worship the idols of this world. Now maybe yours isn't a golden calf or the gods of gold, silver, wood, and stone. But here's the question all of us need to answer this morning. What are your idols? What are your idols? The things of this world that have allured you. You see, because we worship idols because we were made for glory. We were made to behold beauty. Not the beauty of things, but the beauty of God. But our problem is we stop short at God and we see these things as beautiful and we become distracted. We become intoxicated by them. They're shiny to us. And like siren songs, they call to us, they beckon us, and we find ourselves consumed with them. So what are your idols? Yes, sometimes our idols can be inherently sinful, but oftentimes they're not. Oftentimes our greatest idols are the gifts of God. These pursuits are even people. These things and blessings that God has given us that we find as glorious because we don't see that they're supposed to point to the glory of another. What are your idols? Our idols are intoxicating. They call out to us. They call out to that part of our souls that was made for glory. 
And yet we fail to see that the glories of this world cannot compare to the glory of God. The second thing I want you to see, I want you to see that the glory of man is superficial. Not only did Belshazzar glory in idols and steal from the glory of God and the glory of the temple, but he also gloried in himself. Look with me, verse five. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared. Now notice that, immediately. Immediately, there's a connection. Here is Belshazzar drinking out of stolen vessels, stolen glory. Drinking out of the vessels that were meant to praise God, and immediately, a hand comes out of nowhere. A human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. You ever heard anybody say, um, see the handwriting on the wall? That phrase comes from Daniel chapter 5. When we say, see the handwriting on the wall, we're talking about fate. And that's exactly what was written on the wall for Belshazzar. This was Belshazzar's fate. His problem was that he couldn't understand it. And so we've seen this story before. Belshazzar, the king, doesn't understand this vision. This time it's not a vision, it's physical. It's been written on the wall. He can't read it. He can't understand it. And so he calls for all of the king, all of the king's men, all of the wise men, the Chaldeans, all of the enchanters. What I want you to see is that man's glory, it's superficial. Look with me, verse six, the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. How quickly Belshazzar's hubris has faded. This great mighty king, this one with all the trappings of the kingdom is suddenly given to him as the prince. All the gold and silver and stone and wood. The audacity of a man to say, I'm gonna drink from the vessels that are meant for the temple of God. All of that has now gone. His color has changed. He's pale. He's sobered up. And his knees have grown weak. They're knocking together. You want to know why? Because the glory of man is superficial. You see, all the glory of Babylon, all the glory of King Belshazzar was just a show. There was no substance to it. It was all an act. Come see all that he has built and all that he has amassed, the gold, the silver, the wood, the stone, all of these things that are somehow supposed to glorify a little king in Belshazzar. And yet there's nothing to it because when push came to shove, when a hand is writing on the wall, he became so afraid. He didn't know what to do with himself. And so he did what Nebuchadnezzar did before him. He called all of the wise men of the kingdom, but you know what? The glory of man is superficial. And so they, they wanted other people to think that they were wise, but they didn't know the answer. They couldn't tell Belshazzar what the writing meant. There's a story in the book of Genesis that shows just how deep man's pursuit of his own glory really goes. And it's actually a story that is the beginnings of Babylon. It comes from Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. We're told in those days, people migrated from all around to this one place, and there they built a city. 
a city called Babylon. But they didn't just build a city, they built a mighty tower, the Tower of Babel. And they built it for one reason. The book of Genesis tells us they built it to make a name for themselves. This is what it means to glory in yourself, to make a name for yourself. And how many of us spend our days and our energy and our time making a name for ourselves. We build our own little kingdoms. We spend so much time worrying about what other people think of us and what we are doing in order to make our own names great. Psalms put it this way, Psalm 115, it was our call to worship this morning, not to us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. How true is that verse of you? How much of your days, your life, your time, your energy, your strength, how much of your very soul is spent on the glory of God? And how much, if you're honest, is spent on glorifying your own name? See, the glory of man is superficial. Nebuchadnezzar was put in his place, and so was Belshazzar just after him. Not one wise man of Babylon could tell Belshazzar what the writing meant. And so again, we've seen this story before. The king sent for Daniel. Now what you need to know is that Three kings have passed between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and now Daniel is almost 80 years old. It's an amazing picture of God's faithfulness. Once again, God is faithful to Daniel, and he's put Daniel in this place of incredible influence and power. But Daniel doesn't use this position for his own glory. He uses it for the glory of God. I want you to look with me. We're told in verse 16 that Belshazzar offers Daniel a cloak of purple, a chain of gold. He even says that he could be the third ruler of the kingdom after his father, himself, and then Daniel. If Daniel can tell him the interpretation, I want you to listen to Daniel's response, verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. In other words, I don't want your idols. I don't want a glory in the idols of this world. I don't want your gold or silver or wood or stone. I don't even want to do this for my own name. Daniel does not want to glorify himself. But no, he tells Belshazzar the interpretation for the glory of God. Daniel knows the glory of God deeply, and he knows that only God in the end gets the glory. And so then he delivers the interpretation. The interpretation of the handwriting on the wall is judgment. Just like God brought judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, God once again is bringing judgment on Belshazzar. The difference is Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Belshazzar was taken down. 
And so what we see here in the interpretation is a judgment in two parts. The first part is the verdict, and then comes the sentence. First, Daniel gives the verdict, and the verdict is found in verse 22. And you, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Daniel begins by recounting everything that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, how God made him low and humbled him, how God gave him power and glory and then took that glory away, all to teach Nebuchadnezzar that the most high God rules over the kingdom of men. And now he's saying, Belshazzar, his son, you're doing the exact same thing. To call Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar is not to say he's his direct son, as Nebuchadnezzar was his father. No, there were king, two, three kings in between. No, he's talking about something different, not just lineage. What he's saying is, you're just like him. You bear a resemblance to Nebuchadnezzar. You are prideful and arrogant and consumed with your own glory. Thing. You should have known better. You've heard the stories. You knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and now what's going to happen to you? He continues on, verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his house, you have been brought in before you, and then he continues the end of verse 23. This is the verdict. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose ways are all your ways, you have not honored. That word honored could be translated glorified. Belshazzar, this is the verdict. The God in whose breath he holds in his hand, that God you have not glorified. That's the verdict. And then the sentence comes. The last thing I want you to know, the glory of God is our only hope. Daniel delivered the verdict, and now he gives the sentence. The sentence he wrote on a wall. Three words. Three strange and obscure Aramaic words that have to do with weight and value. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Three words that all of the wise men of Babylon could not interpret, and three words that now Daniel is giving to Belshazzar, the sentence for his glorifying of himself, for his blasphemy and his idolatry against the glory of God. Let this, friends, be a warning to us, because are we so different? The first word is the word mene. Why don't you look with me at verse 26? Daniel says, this is the interpretation of the matter, Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Remember the refrain, the chorus of Daniel 4 was again repeated in Daniel 5. The most high God rules over the kingdom of men. He gives power and glory and he takes it away. He says, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. Your kingdom is coming to an end. Tekel, the second word, verse 27. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. I love this. The word glory in Hebrew refers to the word weight, as Robbie talked about. It refers to substance and weightiness. The idea is God's glory has substance to it, it's not superficial, it's weighty, it's valuable. 
And, and so the idea is here's Belshazzar. It says, Belshazzar, you've been weighed. And you know what? You don't weigh a thing. You have no substance. There's no weight to you. You're not valuable. Com your glory compared to the glory of the Lord is like a feather. And the glory of God is so weighty, so heavy, that it completely consumes us. The third and final word is the word Perez. And it is this word that I believe gives us hope. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever is filling with you with fear and anxiety, whatever's going on in this world or your home or even in your own heart, I want you to know that we can hope. And the reason we have hope is because of the glory of God. Because in the end, God always gets the glory and his glory is for our good. The third and final word that was written on the word wall is the word Perez. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Not only is Belshazzar's kingdom coming to an end, but this is the end of the kingdom of Babylon. And it's also the end of the exile of the people of God. The chapter continues, verse 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. What you might not know is that these two short verses are describing the fall of the Babylonian Empire. This is the end. This is the end of 70 long years. The people of God had been in captivity for 70 long years, and this is the end. God, for his own glory, raised up a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar and sent his own people into exile so that they could behold his glory. And now he has raised up another pagan king to conquer Babylon so that his people could be set free. Here in Daniel 5, we're given a name, the name Darius the Mede. Now, there's a lot of theories about who is Darius the Mede. I think the two best are Darius the Mede was one of Cyrus the Great's generals. Cyrus the Great was the king of Persia. The other is that Darius the Mede is a throne name for none other than Cyrus the Great himself. Whatever the case that may be, what you need to know is that Cyrus the Great was the conquering king, the one who was prophesied, the one who's foretold in Isaiah, the one who would come and conquer Babylon and set the people of God free. Not only did Cyrus conquer Babylon, but the book of Ezra tells us that Cyrus sent the people of God back to Jerusalem. He freed them from exile, but he didn't stop there. He then paid for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and paid that the temple would be rebuilt. But he didn't stop there. He took the vessels that were stolen out of the temple and he put them back. For his glory, God raised up a pagan king named Cyrus and restored his people. And the reason that gives us hope is that as exiles who now live in a pagan world, we know that in the end, God gets the glory. 
We know that in the end, he will be glorified, that he raises up kings and he makes them fall all for his glory and our good, because there is no glory like the glory of salvation. You see, many years from now, in this part that we're reading, as the people of Judah were sent back home, many years from this moment, in the place of Judea, in a little town called Bethlehem, God would send another king. And for the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the king of kings, was humbly born in a manger. For the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, took on flesh and became man. For the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, died on the cross for your sin. For the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, on the third day, he rose again in victory over sin and death so that all who trust in his name will be saved. And what I want you to know is that for the glory of God, one day Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man, will present it to the Ancient of Days. He will come with the clouds and he will be given glory and power and a dominion that will never end and a kingdom that will never fail. And so the sufferings of this world cannot compare to the glory that is to be revealed. Our hope is in the glory of God. God wrote his glory on a wall. What I want you to know is he's now written his glory on our hearts through the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that compares to his glory. And so lay aside your idols. I know they're shiny. They're shiny to me too. But they cannot compare to the glory of God. Give up making a name for yourself. Glorifying in yourself because the little kingdom that you're building will fade away. His kingdom lasts forever. But instead, pray the prayer of Moses. Ask God to show you his glory. That in that place of beholding the beauty of his holiness, that you would see that there is nothing that compares to the glory of his power and the glory of his grace. Jesus Christ has come, he's coming again. Until that day comes, let us place our hope in the future glory that is to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you be with us now? Out of your mercy, would you humble us? Out of your grace, would you help us by your spirit to lay down our idols, to give up the glory of ourselves? And would we, even as we sing this final hymn, behold your glory? As we leave this place and write letters to our missionaries, would we see that they exist to spread the fame of your glory? As we go home, would you help us to see that our chief end, the reason you've made us is for your glory? Or would you help us to see that it's for our good? May that be the place where we find hope as exiles long, just like the people of God, to be freed once again. Be with us now in Jesus' name, amen.